As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Well, hello and welcome to Matters of Life and Death. Um, As always, I'm Tim Wyatt and I'm joined as ever by my dad, John Wyatt. Hi, John. Hi. Good to be here. Yeah, we're going to be picking up our conversation from last week about robots and rights. Um, uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, uh, I do recommend you pause this and, and go back to it as it will help this, what we're about to talk today, make a lot more sense. Um, we're going to go on today to chat about some Christian responses and different ways different theologians have, have thought about this issue. Um, and I guess at heart of it, we were discussing last week is, is how do we categorize robots? Uh, imagine a future when robots have have gained artificial intelligence, a form of consciousness, uh, maybe even sentience. Uh, do we see them as morally equivalent to human beings, or are they still a separate category? Yeah, that's right. And this is more than just an abstract philosophical speculation, because there's very active discussion going on in many centres around the world about the regulation of future robots or autonomous intelligent agents and in particular whether some kind of Bill of Rights um, for robots should be developed. Can a robot be regarded as a a person for legal purposes? And and, and what are the implications for uh, for Christians? How should Christians uh, think about these extraordinarily mind-boggling new questions? And I guess the the first thing to say is obviously, you know, you go combing through the scriptures for uh, a proof text about robots and you're going to come up empty. Um, but there is, I suppose, a kind of instinctual kind of maybe automatic response from, I think, a lot of Christian thinkers, which is that there is something fundamental about humans which is different from anything else in all of material creation, including anything that we create as human beings, such as robots. And that's about the image of God, and therefore, you know, case closed, robots are not in the image of God, and therefore they can't be people. Yes, and you can understand, uh, you know, that immediate response. But um, I think we need to think a bit more carefully and, uh, and deeply about this. Um, you know, what often happens as technology advances is that there's an initial uh, attitude of repugnance, um, a kind of emotional uh non-intellectual response that's just that sounds ridiculous that's that's yuck sometimes called the yuck factor and and it's possible for people just to respond at that kind of emotional level without thinking deeply about uh what what are the issues that are involved and so 
I do think there is a real value in, in trying to to think more deeply about this. And, and one of the fascinating things, you know, you can see this in the history of thought time and time again, that as a new challenge arrives, uh, a new way of thinking, which, which challenges orthodox Christian thinking, it, it actually represents an opportunity because it forces us to think more deeply and more carefully about the truth which, we, which we've found from the basic biblical foundations of Christianity. So I think there's a new opportunity for us here to think more deeply about what it means to be human. And, and is, do you see that happening? Do you see theologians, church leaders, denominations kind of going back to this question that we might have thought was fairly settled about the nature of humanity and Christian theology? Do you see people kind of reopening that in, in response to the pressing issue of robotics? Well, to be honest, it's still at a very, very early stage, this kind of discussion. I uh, I was given some money by the Temple Foundation in in, in collaboration with the Faraday Institute in Cambridge in the UK to undertake a research project uh, very much around these theological and philosophical issues. And so I spent a number of time approaching various heavyweight theologians and church leaders and asking them to collaborate in this project. And to be honest, I was I was quite surprised by some of them who were very dismissive and thought this was a complete waste of time and, and really not, not anything they wish to be involved with. Um, and, and so I think there is a kind of reluctance for many serious theologians to, to get involved in some of these questions. And I, I, don't, I don't really understand where that reluctance comes from, but I suspect quite a lot of it is about the fact that so many church leaders and theologians come from a non-scientific background. You know, they come from the humanities and they've never been interested in science, they've never read any science fiction, and they just find the whole thing rather distasteful and, and, and uninteresting. Um, you know, speaking as a, as a humanities person myself, who dropped all my sciences as soon as I could after my GCSEs, I have to say, like, I actually have a bit more sympathy than it sounds like you do for, for church leaders in particular, it's an incredibly busy, stressful job working in that sort of ministry. And to say, you know, you need to be urgently inquiring into the ethics of a situation which does not exist and for all we know may not exist in their lifetimes. It's certainly not round the corner, is it? The emergence of AI and genuinely autonomous, rational, conscious machines. Um, no matter what the kind of Silicon Valley boosters would la would have you believe, we're not close to creating kind of Asimov-style uh, robots. I can understand why a church leader says, do you know what, that doesn't seem like on all the thousand things on my radar the most pressing issue to be doing some reading and thinking about. Sure, and, I, and I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that every church leader needs to be really engaging uh, with these issues at that kind of level. Although, you know, I do think that church leaders need to start thinking about technology. I mean, yes, it's uh, it's true that, you know, advanced sentient robots are maybe many decades away. But, you know, so many church members have got smartphones that they talk to. They've got Alexa and um, Amazon Alexa and Google Home. You know, especially the young people, you know, may well have virtual companions, uh, and, and uh, using AI continuously. And surely these issues are vitally important even for 
your average pastor uh, who's, who's trying to support a, a church community. Hmm. Well, let's go back to the theology then. We, we mentioned briefly the kind of what you might call the traditional orthodox view, the mainstream view, which is that because humans are made in the image of God and robots are not, that is the key kind of bright dividing line, but and that that carves off humans as an entirely separate category from the rest of the entire universe, and therefore, no matter how sentient, conscious, autonomous a robot becomes, it can never be equivalent to a human being, and therefore should never be granted the same kind of dignity, personhood, status, or rights as a human being. Do you, do you find that argument compelling? Well, I think there is. A great deal to be said for it. As you say, this is the orthodox position, which you can trace all the way back uh, to the New Testament writers and also to the early church fathers, um, who 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 saw both in in God in God way the, the way that God had created human beings in His own image, uh, but but particularly um, in the fact in the incarnation the fact that humanity is invested with special significance by uh, Jesus of Nazareth coming in the form of a human being and um, and the destiny and, and, and dignity of human beings is, is very much then tied up with the figure of Jesus Christ and, and this unique status that um, that is that is given to him and and I for one have been very much influenced by um, theologians who, who've, who've emphasised that, that that perspective and um, I've been uh, coming out of the project that I mentioned uh, is a book called The Robot Will See You Now uh, published by SBCK in the UK but it's available internationally and um, two of the theologians who did um, agree to be involved um, was Stephen Williams and Robert Song, both eminent professors of theology. So Stephen Williams uh, really defends what you could uh, see as the orthodox position, and he places the emphasis particularly on the fact that human beings are essentially related to God. He says that humankind has been constituted by God to be in relationship with him. And that this is something that, however sophisticated an AI or robotic system is, it can never be essentially related to God in the same way. And he also uh, emphasises the importance of embodiment, that, that our humankind, the way that we're created, is to be embodied and that the hope for the future of humanity is not in some kind of disembodied virtual state but is with a resurrection body. And this differentiates us from a digital, uh, disembodied kind of artificial intelligence. So mm -hmm. um, he, he argues that we, the question we have to ask about robotics is, is how does it help us to thrive in our essentially human kind of, of being? And if robotics is, is going to some way interfere with this thriving, then we should resist it. If, on the other hand, it's helping us to thrive, to become more human, uh, then we should welcome it. And there does seem to be some real merit to that idea because it, it grounds us and our status and identity not 
as kind of ourselves not something that we self-actualize that we kind of create our humanness from ourselves but it says no no it's a gift it's received it it, it is a reflection of the the only kind of true original force in 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 the universe which is god himself whereas and that that seems to me both kind of consonant with christian theology and quite a kind of a good humbling safe place to stand when thinking about what sets us as a part as human beings yeah no that's absolutely right and i think i think this is a very important theme isn't it that that in a secular liberal understanding of what it means to be human this this idea of self-definition of autonomy that I am a unique experiment in living, I'm creating my own identity. These are very, very powerful ideas uh, within the secular world. And in fact, uh, many people would regard this, this Christian idea that our identity is given us by God as being somehow demeaning, isn't it? I mean, that's I, I, I should be able to create my own identity to decide whoever I am. Mm. That's actually the essence of all sin is ultimately a desire to remove God from the throne and place ourselves upon it. Uh, to and and part of and what key way how that works itself out, as you say, is about saying I'm not going. To, I'm going to refuse to allow myself to be uh, bordered and structured and boundaried and hemmed in by another, uh, by God. And I'm instead going to say no. I'm in charge. I can decide. I can rule. I can reign. I can determine what what I am, who I am, what is right, what I can do. Yeah, and there's a line in a Christian song which which says, I am who you say I am. And I, I often think that is extraordinarily deep and profound, you know, that ultimately it's God who defines who I am, both generically as a human being and uniquely as a, as a unique person. And I want to be more of the person who God says I am. And it's something a robot cannot say because a robot says, I am who I've been programmed to be by a human, another part of created order. I am a, a, a made in the image, not of God, but made some in some sense in the image of the software designer or the robotics company that, that created me. Yes, I mean, that that's that's fundamentally right. And of course, again, from a Christian theological point of view, made in a, in a fallen image. I mean, uh, you know, made by fallen human beings, contaminated by evil, and therefore the product of our of our hands is also uh, contaminated by evil. I, I think an AI uh, coder would want to come back and say, "Yeah, but but uh, sophisticated autonomous machines are not uh, deterministic in that sense. You know, in that the the software is designed to explore." Uh, possibilities and come up with novel solutions and, and you know there are many examples where AI is coming up with genuinely novel uh, mm. solutions which no one else has ever no human being has ever worked out before um, yeah. so so I think it, you 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 can't say that the the AI is just doing what it's programmed to do but nonetheless it is constrained by the way it's been created by a limited and fallen human being. You're listening to Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. So that's kind of the Williams's position. You said the other theologian you had in the book was Robert Song. Does he argue a different line? 
Yes, Robert Song, again, very eminent professor of theology in Durham. And he, I mean, there are, there are lots of similarities. I don't, I don't want to overstate the differences, but there are some interesting and subtle differences between Robert Song's position and that of Stephen Williams. And what Robert Song comments on is the fact that it, it seems that as the, as the uh, robotics and artificial intelligence advances, something that we seem, we thought was uniquely human suddenly turns out, oh no, robots can do that as well. You know, robots can compose music, robots can write novels, robots can drive cars, etc., etc. And he said it's almost like the citadel of human uniqueness is, is under constant attack and a little bit gets lopped off each time. And he mm -hmm. says the danger is that Christians want to say, oh yes, but there's still something unique about human beings and that is being constantly threatened by advances in the science. And uh, he says that we shouldn't worry about AI and robots becoming doing more and more, or we shouldn't worry about the upgrading of robots. We, what we should worry about is the downgrading of human beings. And he says it, it can be a bit like the, the god of the gaps, that uh, historically in science, whenever there was a tendency that whenever science couldn't explain something, the Christians would say, oh, well, that must be God. Uh, but understandably, as science advances, that seems that God does less and less. And, and hmm. Robert Song is saying it could be the same, the same danger that as the technology advances, what's special about humanity becomes less and less. So in this framing, the, the kind of definition of humanity is not a, grounded on the Imago Dei, but is instead grounded on our capacities whether that's our consciousness our sentience our creativity our rationality our spirituality it's about capacities rather than identity well what robert song would say is that it, the essential uniqueness of human beings is in our calling and he would relate this to the imago dei but he would say that the way we image god the way we reflect God in the creation is primarily by our calling, our calling to represent God to the whole of nature uh, through the creation mandates to uh, subdue the earth and to um, multiply and to fill it and to bring, uh, to cultivate uh, in the image of the garden uh, that human beings are the cultivators bringing out the richness of creation. He says that's our unique calling and that nothing can threaten that, however advanced the robots become, even if they appear to take on consciousness and other uh, forms of, of, of human functioning, they can't threaten our unique human calling. And so in this sense, he's fairly relaxed about the potential advent of, of autonomous conscious machines because he would see them simply as another example of humans cultivating created order. You know, we've taken these raw materials of, of metal and silicon and plastic and electricity, and we've created something entirely new. And it might be so new that it actually has a kind of consciousness, a sentience, a, 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 a life. But that doesn't matter, because no matter how alive it is, it, it hasn't got the same calling that we have. Yes, exactly. So... So whereas Stevens Williams' view is is would lead to a a, a greater deal of, of caution about wanting to defend 
human uniqueness and therefore I think would tend to resist the idea that a robot could be a person. Um, I think Robert Song's view is, is more positive towards technology in general, prepared to, to see how God may uh, allow us to, to bring these new entities into existence and that we should welcome them, not, not be threatened by them. But I suppose, does, does Robert Song actually address the kind of question we started with, which is, should robots have rights and responsibilities of personhood? So, so he might say, I mean, I guess the question is, do, do our rights and dignities as human beings come from our calling? Or in which case we shouldn't give them to robots? Or is he saying, actually, it's fine to give robots the rights and responsibilities of personhood because the calling aspect of our humanity remains distinct but there's no reason why we should restrict the status and dignity of personhood only to those who have that special calling from god so he doesn't explicitly address the issue of of robot rights in uh in the chapter in which he's written in in the book i and stephen williams edited um but these are active areas of discussion uh which we uh, you know as as a group of a multidisciplinary group we we've discussed amongst ourselves and i think we you know the, there isn't a clear answer uh there there's there are more issues to discuss here but i just want to raise a third uh christian response um and that is the response that uh, michael rice has put forward and um he argues that uh, the human beings are fully physical. Uh, you know that there is no mystical, uh, immaterial part of being human, and and yet uh, uh, what emerges out of our central nervous system are these phenomena of consciousness, of rationality, and our ability to relate to other people and and to relate to God. These are. He describes them as emergent properties uh, coming out of the central nervous system, out of the wiring of our brains and so on. And and since that has happened uh, to human beings, he argues there's no fundamental reason why that can't happen within the circuitry of an artificial intelligence. And and therefore he says that we should be prepared for the fact that, that at some point uh, these machines are likely to become... Uh, sentient to become conscious and at that point we should give them the privilege of personhood they 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 will be regarded as they should be regarded as robotic persons and and maybe of equal status to human beings hmm. do you think this is kind of outside the bounds of kind of christian orthodoxy when it comes to the kind of physicalism of it or do you think that's actually you can you can hold that view while still kind of holding on to fundamental kind of Christian convictions about the Imago Dei and, and that kind of thing? Well, there certainly are a group of Christian scientists who are, are adopting this this fundamental view of, about what it means to be human. Um, I, I would say they represent a minority um, amongst philosophers, Christian philosophers and scientists, but they are definitely a significant group and they argue that um, human beings it is our physical nature that is that is at the heart and that the the uh, aspects that uh, we think of like consciousness and free will 
and our ability to relate to God. These are emergent properties. So they would fundamentally be, um, would, would say that there is nothing but matter, that, that what constitutes human beings is, is, a, is a materialistic reality. Now, the alternative view, the philosophical view, which is probably more common amongst Christian philosophers, would be some kind of dualism, uh, sometimes called a substance dualism. In other words, that there are two quite distinct uh, aspects to being a human being. There is the physical component of which our bodies are made, but then there is this other component, a completely immaterial, non-physical aspect, which might be called soul or spirit, uh, and that the human being is a combination of these two kinds of reality. Hmm. Yeah, I, I just reflecting on on how that fits in with the kind of Judeo-Christian framework in Scripture, I guess you have that kind of theme that runs through both Old and New Testaments of like the breath of God in in Hebrew. That's ruach, which can be translated, I think, as wind, breath, or as kind of spirit and soul. And there's a kind of fundamental ambiguity there about you know what what that is. But it is a clear idea that humans were made out of the dust, and then God breathed into them and it's the combination of the breath of god and the kind of dust of the earth that that creates humans so i can see there is a kind of consonance there running running at least through through old and new testament yes i i think what most uh, biblical theologians would want to emphasize is that the the biblical particularly the old testament hebraic understanding of humanity is that we are a unity um you know that there is a, f a fundamental unity about being human but we have many different aspects we have material aspects we have physical being i mean the um the hebrew often talks about the the heart and about the kidneys about the flesh about the nefesh which is uh, which is uh, some kind of the soul uh, and there is this and the ruach as you said and the 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 human being is a is a complex unity of many different aspects some of them physical some of them immaterial and um i what is fascinating I, you know is that the advent of robotics and artificial intelligence means that these kind of discussions become more than just interesting theological philosophical speculation because all of a sudden it really matters how we understand what it means to be human from a biblical Christian point of view is going to make a huge difference to how we respond to advancing robotics and AI. I mean, one thing that strikes me, if we take that third position, the kind of more optimistic, the rice position, that, that potentially consciousness and and personhood could emerge from from future kind of complex autonomous uh robots then we have to think about what how we relate to them spiritually you know are they capable of having a relationship with god you know do they need to be evangelized and ultimately saved like we do um i guess it raises some interesting novel questions that maybe similar to what would happen if we discovered kind of sentient alien life and we kind of think, how do we fit that into our anthropology as as Christians? No, that's exactly right. And it's a very interesting and instructive parallel to, to think through, you know, as thought experiment. So if uh, NASA announced um, 
you know, next week that they'd established contact with an intelligent species on a, a distant planet in another galaxy and in another planetary system. Um, how would we think about these beings theologically? Would we think that these are uh, beings that are related to God and that we should um, preach the gospel to them? Um, how, how, how should we respond to them? And in the same way that it is analogous with a, an artificial intelligent species on Earth, uh, because we would have the same difficulties. We wouldn't really know what it felt like to be uh, that alien species any more than we know what it feels like to be a computer. But we would assume that there was something it did. There was some kind of subjective awareness. And so we we reach out to them, I think, with humility, with compassion, with love, um, and, and and with respect. And so... Um, that that's a very interesting thought experiment, which um, which which uh, you know we have to engage with. We have to think about. We're kind of coming to the end of our time, but just before we leave, I want to really press you. You're 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 much more of an expert on this than I am. I'm very kind of new to this idea. But which of those three views, if any, that we discussed earlier, do you find most compelling yourself? Do you do you see kind of landing in the kind of agnostic position? Uh, we're not really sure, or, or do you lean towards the more traditional, the more optimistic view? I lean towards the the orthodox position that Stephen Williams has espoused. In other words, um, it seems to me, if we take the whole way that Christians have been thinking for 2,000 years about the uniqueness of human beings, I think we want a very strong reason for throwing that away. Um, my my default position would be that um, we should uh, protect the uniqueness of human beings and we should be concerned about the possibility of a kind of uh, deceitfulness of of a um, the, of a counterfeit personhood which which could be very manipulative and and misleading and and that's this sort of blurring between what it means to be human and what it means to be a machine. But I suppose I, I would have to uh, say that I would never, I wouldn't want to absolutely rule out the possibility that at some stage there might be uh, a machine who, that God in his surprising grace uh, gives the gift of personhood to. We, I don't think I have any right to say, no, God would never do that. That would be completely outside his purposes. I mean, what right have I to say what God's plans and purposes are? And it may be, it's possible that at some stage of the future, it becomes apparent that God is giving the gift of personhood to some new uh, advanced kind of mach machinery. Hmm. What a world that, that would be. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? But I suppose that's what we have those sci-fi writers to kind of dream big dreams and, and sketch out alternative futures for us to try and think these things through. And just lastly, then, we mentioned at the beginning that your kind of frustrations at at the fact that not many kind of theologians and, and thinkers are, are delving into this. Would you be encouraging kind of church leaders uh, and theologians to, to kind of push this issue up the agenda, up the priority list of, of future study? Well, I don't want to overstate it. And I, I, I think that for the average, uh, you know, 
church leader, the most important issues are the issues I mentioned before, things like smartphones and uh, use of the internet and, and, and so on. But I, I do th- would hope that the theologians and, and Christian philosophers would be uh, more prepared to engage with some of these issues because I do see them as important, not least because they tell us more about what it means to be human. Great. All right. Well, that's um, all we've got time for today. Thanks as ever, John. And thank you to everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed this kind of pair of episodes about robots and rights. Um, Robots and AI, um, as we've discussed, is something that John's been working and researching on for a few years. It's definitely a topic we're hoping to come back to in the future. Um, but do if you want to go find out more about this issue, the best place to go would be to to the book that he and Stephen Williams um, co-edited last year, The Robot Will See You Now. Um, we'll pop a link to how you can get hold of that in the description of this podcast. Um, but as ever, there's also loads of other material on technology and AI and robotics on John's website. That's um, John Wyatt, W-Y-A-T-T dot com. Um, anything else to say there, John, about uh, stuff coming up in the future? No, well, I'll be aiming to put up some more articles on on my website dealing with some of these issues and uh, always very interested to hear comments and uh, and feedback. Um, This is very much a discussion we need to be holding amongst ourselves. So uh, thanks so much for those who have responded and looking forward to the conversation in the future. Mm. Um, As ever, if you'd like to get in touch with us, it's really easy. You just can send an email to molad, M-O-L-A-D, at premier.org.uk. Um, um, otherwise uh, thanks for listening and we'll speak to you next week you've been listening to matters of life and death a podcast from premier unbelievable unbelievable